Hi, Jonathan Williams back again at the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Bricks and Mortar podcast, well, that's a podcast about property. If you are buying, selling, renting, or investing in property, then again, we'll float your boat and light that candle of yours. I'll tell you where I'm sitting this afternoon is I'm sitting at Loch Lomond Shores out in the west coast of Scotland, contemplating why the bloody hell I thought it would be a good idea to enter a half Ironman in the middle of May. The middle of May when the temperature of Loch Lomond for our 1.2 mile swim tomorrow is hovering around the 11 degrees mark. So yes, I've got a wetsuit. Yes, I've got my boots. Yes, I've got my neoprene hat, which looks very daft. But it's still going to be Baltic. And I'm just contemplating the madness of tomorrow morning. Not only the madness of getting a swim in, a 1.2 mile swim, I've got a 57 mile bike ride and then a half marathon to finish. And I tell you what, if I clock in under six hours, it'll be a bloody miracle. The training has been half-baked, probably the most half-baked training block I've done. I'm possibly carrying an injury, so it's all looking a bit bleak. But hey-ho, I'm going to give it a crack um, and we'll see how we get on. I might even just do a little bit of a blurb at the end of this podcast just to tell you how I get on. So listen, again, it's property we're talking about, not triathlons. Let's kick off. We talked last week, didn't we, about closing dates and we've had some great response from the closing date thing. It really is, I think, something that touches the nerve as far as purchasers are concerned. And I can tell you what, I'm talking now from personal experience because we're bang smack right in the center of the buying frenzy currently in the West End. It really is fizzing and bubbling away and a lot of property in prime West End is looking at anywhere between five, 10% over the, the home report value. So it's a busy, busy, difficult market to get success in. So I'm going to talk about three things uh, because as I say, there's still, when I did that podcast last week, there was a lot of stuff that that listeners have come back and, and asking questions about. So the first one I'm going to talk about is making offers on two properties. It doesn't happen very often, but I got instructed by one client there during the week and he's interested in two properties and both in the West End, and it just so happened that Vanilla Square were selling one, and the other one was being sold by our friends at Corum. And again, it just so happened that the closing date was Friday at 12 noon. Now I thought, God, that's going to be difficult. That we're, Are we going to be able, hand on heart, to, to put offers in for clients where we know that ultimately we're only ever going to buy one property? And so, gosh, I thought to myself, how the hell am I going to get around this? And then I had a light bulb moment. I said, with regards to ethics and with regards to the buying and selling of property, it's all about transparency. So I thought to myself, there are two properties here, one in which my client would rather get, okay, 
And the other one, you know, he's nonplussed about, but if he doesn't get the one that he wants, he'd be fine happy to get this other one. So I thought what I'll do is I'll phone the estate agents up, and that happened to be Vanilla Square, and I just put my hands on the, my cards on the table. And I said, listen, I presume your client would want me to offer. There is a possibility that we'll need to pull the offer, but we'll only pull the offer if we're successful on the property that we want to bid at the closing date with Corum. And so because I was transparent, and I have to say, I think Vanilla Square were quite um, taken aback by my transparency. And Vicky Judd there at Vanilla Square said, listen, that's, that's absolutely fine. As long as they get told as soon after 12 o'clock as possible, then they said, of course, our clients would rather have as many offers as possible. And that's what we ended up doing. What we did was we fired an offer through to them and we fired an offer through to Corum as well. It just so happened that Vanilla Square actually came back and said to us, listen, you're not the highest. And so the way was free for us to go on with Corum. But there's a situation where we're thinking outside the box. Initially, I thought to myself, well, we can't do that because ethically I can't hand on heart say that we're after both properties. But a little bit about thinking outside the box and there's the answer. So that's making an offer on two properties. I think you can do it as long as the estate agents are happy in the knowledge that one of those properties is not going to be one that you wanted to go for if in the unlikely event you get both properties accepted. Next thing I want to talk about is when will you hear? When will you hear whether or not your offer has been accepted or not accepted? And there we were on Friday, the two ends of the spectrum that we had our property with Vanilla Square, we had our property with Corum, and Vanilla Square phoned me up at about five past 12 and said, listen, decision's been made. You're fourth out of five. Your offer's not going to be accepted. I thought, well, that's fine. And I'm sitting here on Saturday afternoon and I've still not heard from Corum. So I phoned Corum up on the, 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 the fag end of, of Friday afternoon and Sally there and was incredibly apologetic. She had emailed out her clients, obviously they were, I think they were abroad, I think, a Croatia. Um, the email had been acknowledged that they'd had several offers, but the clients hadn't come back to them. The clients had set the closing date, but for whatever reason, they haven't decided which offer is going to be acceptable. To tell you the truth, I can't understand that. Is it not the case that you would go with the highest offer on the basis that as long as that highest offer did not have too many strings attached to it? Surely that is something that you can make a decision on and not keep everybody hanging on. Still don't get it, but ultimately it's down to the sellers, isn't it? as to when they make that decision. So when I get asked by clients, when is a decision going to be made? 
Hand on heart, it really should be made by close of play on a Friday, assuming that the, the closing date is a Friday, but it's never that straightforward. So that's two of the three, making an offer on two properties. When will you hear? And the next thing I keep getting asked is, how many conditions should I put on the offer? You don't want to be putting too many conditions in front of the seller. Ultimately, if you have got a mortgage to get or a property to sell, then you must be saying that the offer is conditional upon these things. But I would flower it up and I would give as much information about your own personal circumstances in some sort of covering letter or covering email. Because if you put in that your offer is subject to mortgage or subject to sale, and you don't give a little bit of background as to where you're actually at in the process, then your offer is going to be deemed by the, the, uh, the seller potentially to be lower down the pecking order. So as with all negotiations, it's all about information. And if you can give as much positive information to the seller, then your offer is going to appear potentially better than other offers that are around that similar price bracket. One of the things that we always get asked upon, and I always ask my clients, is date of entry. What date of entry do you want? And what I would say to you is this, if you don't have a specific date of entry that you are absolutely have to abide by, then I would always say that the date of entry should be to be confirmed, to be arranged. You want to take out as many things for the seller to think about as possible so that the seller is just drilling down to the most important thing, which in all likelihood is going to be the price. The price is the thing that is going to be judged upon and ultimately it is going to be the thing that the seller makes their decision upon. And it's not always the case that the seller will take the highest offer. But by and large, that's what's going to happen. So sometimes if you put a price and a date of entry, your price might be acceptable to them and your price might be very close to the second offer. But if you've put a date of entry in and the other party have just put a date of entry to be confirmed, you may not get, even get an opportunity as the, the highest offer to explain, well, you know what, I'm, I'm not overly concerned about that date of entry. I just thought we had to put in a date of entry. Of course, I'm absolutely flexible. So I would say that if you are flexible, demonstrate that by putting that in the offer. Because if you don't put that in the offer and you put in a specific date, then that may be deemed by the seller as a date which is set in stone. So just to recap here, we're talking about closing dates, making the offers. I think you can make two offers when will you hear? Generally speaking, you're going to hear on the day of the closing date. 
but there are some circumstances where you won't. And then conditionality, dates of entry. I wouldn't put a date of entry in personally. I would always state that it's to be considered. I'm going to drive back to Glasgow now. We have that ridiculous thing where you've got to register the day before. Um, so I've had to spend half an hour driving all the way out to Loch Lomond. And then I'm having to spend another half an hour driving back. So I'm going to be back here in the car park uh, at, uh, I suppose, half past five tomorrow morning. All suited, booted. And uh, yeah, you know what? I'm looking forward to it. First race of the season. I've got four of these coming up. So this is the first race of the season. It's obviously not my A race. And I think that if I can get round unscathed and uh, clock something around six hours, then I'm going to be pretty pleased. So I'm going to sign off here. I'm going to get back in the mobile studios and we'll catch you on the other side. So it's been a couple of days since I recorded that and we've had a couple of other closing dates in the Glasgow area, mainly on the south side. We've had one in the the West End as well and the market just still keeps to be moving forward. It is quite astonishing. I'm not entirely convinced as to what the foundation is but there seems to be certainly a groundswell of opinion that people are prepared to pay 5%, 10% over the home report value. It really is a little bit insane but there's talk, certainly we share an office with an estate agent and what his thoughts are is that he reckons that once the schools go back then there's going to be more properties that are going to come onto the market and that's going to then mean that there's going to be an equalisation of the demand and so therefore uh, there'll be less demand because there's more properties. It'll, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what's happening with that but next week I think I'll do yet another program on the closing date situation I'm recording this on Thursday evening and so I'm just trying to prepare my educational slot for the BNI I've become um, hooked on a, a podcast by the name of The One Thing and the whole premise of the one thing is to identify that one thing that by doing that one thing will render anything else uh, unnecessary or not required. So it's all about productivity and trying to identify that one thing, that big rock that allows you, if you are able to identify that big rock, that piece of work that has to be done and then do it, then you will undoubtedly move forward towards your goal and become more productive. So I'm doing a talk each week on six myths of productivity. And last week I did one about the myth of being everything is created equal. You've all been in that situation, haven't you? That you get into work on a Monday morning and you've got your to-do list and you put 10 things on your to-do list. And what do you end up doing? You end up doing the five easiest ones. And the reason why you do five easiest ones is because you know every time you tick that box off on the one that you've done, you will get a small dopamine hit. And this is scientifically researched that that's actually what happens, that every time you tick a box, you get a little bit of a dopamine hit. 
but what's the point in, in getting that dopamine hit if the five things that you tick off are not going to be any of those big rocks there are none of those things that are going to be moving you towards your goal what's the point in doing that so what the one thing is espousing is that you identify what those big rocks are prioritize the to-do list and do not do the easiest tasks first so you number them off one two three in ascending order and you work through those assiduously making sure that you just do those big rock items those one thing at one at a time so we're going to be doing six talks at the BNI next week's one or in fact tomorrow's one that I'm working on at the moment is all about multitasking and what a myth multitasking is so next week I'll talk about that I am recovering from the half Ironman I thought I'd better just do a little bit of a, a blurb on this because I kept going on about it so the half Ironman as you're aware it was on Sunday and some of you may be thinking how I got on well I finished it and in fact, those of you who are on my Facebook group will have seen that I took an inordinate amount of time trying to get out of my wetsuit. I think it was about six or seven minutes trying to get out of the bloody wetsuit. But that was the only start of my problems. First of all, we ended up as a swim. We ended up swimming an extra 800 metres. So that wasn't a good start. And then I got absolutely shredded on the bike. And I knew deep down that I hadn't done enough training as far as the bike is concerned. And for those of you who don't know much about triathlon and not much about cycling, you would have thought, well, goodness me, of all the three disciplines, surely cycling, good goodness, is the easiest thing to do. And generally speaking, it is. But what I failed to do and was a rookie mistake was to look at the course profile. And I wish I had, because if I had got and had a look at the cross profile, I wouldn't have got the gear setting on my bike, which made it nigh on impossible to go up to 18% hills halfway through. We had to do that twice on a loop. The first time it was pretty bad, and the second time it was an absolute nightmare. I remember going up the hill and it was just, I had my head down, I refused to look at the top of the hill, and then the, and through my mind, I was saying to myself, this is easy, this is not a hill, this is easy, this is not a hill. Listen, you might think that I'm off my rocker, but I tell you what, when you're four hours into a, to a bike ride, you just want the whole thing to be over. And it got to a stage where not only was I thinking that this is easy, this is not a hill, I actually started to shout this out like a crazed loony. Goodness knows what the person who cycled up past me on the left-hand side must have thought. But I tell you what, I got over that hill. We got to the top of the hill. There was an aid station up there. I filled myself full of all sorts of cakes and um, goo bars and, and um, gels, etc. And I sped off down the hill 
and into the run. The run was a half marathon, and I tell you what, that was a hell of a suffer fest. Two hours it took me to get round the half marathon. It was an out and back. You had to do it four times. So I ended up clocking six hours, 50 minutes. I was absolutely shredded. I ended up hobbling into work on Monday. Tuesday was a little better and Wednesday things have started to get back on an even keel. So we've got the Highland Cross coming up at the middle of June. I think it's the longest day and that's going to be a 20 mile run and a 30 mile cycle. So we'll see how we get on with that. But for goodness sake, it can't be any worse than the low man, half Iron Man. Something that I certainly won't be forgetting in a hurry. So listen, I'm going to sign off here. I'm just going to tee up the rest of the Ed slot there for tomorrow's BNI. Hope you're enjoying what we're producing at the BN, uh, at, uh, the Bricks and Mortar podcast. We're starting really to get some traction and that's really pleasing to see. So again, if you'd like to come on and chat about property, then please do get in touch with me, either LinkedIn, Jonathan Williams, uh, try me on the uh, drawing on the on the the Facebook. Get in touch with me with the on the website, and then you can also get in touch just purely by the emails. Jonathan Williams at BegleyBrown.co.uk. So listen, I'm signing off here. This is your property podcast. It is the bricks and mortar podcast, taking a sideways look at property.